Sometimes uh, I get up here and I think, this sermon this morning would be so easy to misunderstand. So if I don't say exactly the right thing or if somebody's not listening, you know, and just kind of sort of maybe sort of paying attention, they might miss or I might miscommunicate what it is that I'm trying to say. So let's let's try to stay all on the same page this morning so that we understand what we're talking about because I, I think that this is such a a fundamental, maybe even a, a, a paradigm shift in our minds. It might be a small paradigm shift, but it could change everything. But, but it's incredibly important and maybe even easy to, to misunderstand. So, so let's all stay together. Let me start by saying that, that rules and sort of figuring out what's right and wrong and following the rules, that can be kind of tricky sometimes, can't it? For one reason rules can be tricky is because as soon as you find out a rule, the first thing you want to do is what? Break it, right? Exactly. So, so I heard a story this week about a hotel that was built down in Galveston, and apparently the hotel was built like right on the water. And as they were building the hotel, somebody thought, I hope that nobody tries to fish out of the hotel windows. That'd be bad. Somebody tried to fish out the hotel windows. So they said, we want to stop that before it starts. So they put up signs that say, no fishing out of hotel windows. And of course, what did everybody want to do? <laughs> then they start fishing out the hotel windows. And, and I mean, it was a mess. There were like fishing lines getting tangled up, hanging out the side of the building. There were people eating in the restaurant. The fish is flapping by the window as it goes up. <laughs> so you know how they fixed the problem? They took down the signs, and then it never occurred to anybody anymore to, to fish out the hotel windows. So, so rules can be tricky for that reason. And another reason rules can be tricky is because we have a tendency as human beings to interpret rules in a way that makes it possible for me to justify myself and judge you, right? We have a tendency to read a rule or interpret a rule so that I can correct you and you're wrong and I'm right. In fact, I always hate to tell stories about my boys, especially when they're here, so I won't look at them when I tell the story. But this week, uh, my boys Malachi and Noah were having a disagreement. We'll say that, right? So they're having a disagreement this week. And, and so I, I, I knew this lesson was coming up. And so I, I sat them both down and I said, guys, how do we in our house determine what's right and what's wrong? And Noah said, well, I'm right and Malachi's wrong. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that's pretty much how everybody does it, right? Rules can be incredibly tricky. So how do you determine in your house? This whole series is about family, and it doesn't matter whether your family is a family of one or a family of many, whatever role your family is. We all have to wrestle with these questions, don't we? How do we determine in our home what's right and what's wrong? What behavior is tolerated? What behavior is celebrated? What behavior is punished? How do you determine that? What is, what is your, your moral compass? What is your ethical standard? What is your true north? What is your guiding light? And a lot of us would probably say the Bible, right? We would hold up the Bible and we say this. This is my moral standard. This is my ethical guide. This is my compass. This is my guiding light. The Bible, Scripture, is how I determine what's right and what's wrong. And that's good, right? I mean, there's a lot of truth to that. But let me ask you something. Is it possible to know Scripture and not know God? Is it possible to know the rules but still be very mixed up 
as to what is really right and what is wrong? Is it possible to memorize scripture and know scripture and read scripture and still not be wise as to the way we should and shouldn't live our lives? If somebody says, no, no, it's not possible. If you've read the scriptures, then you know, and you're always doing right and wrong. Well, you know that the Pharisees and the leaders of Jerusalem, the Jewish people in the days of Jesus, they knew the scriptures, didn't they? They read the scriptures. They knew all of the rules. They knew the scriptures, but they didn't know God. And how do you know they didn't know God? Because when God showed up in the flesh, they didn't know him. Here's what Jesus says, John chapter 5 and verse 39, to the rulers of his day. He says, you, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it's they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See, it wasn't, the scriptures themselves that that gave life. It was the scriptures that pointed to Jesus who was the life giver. And and so if if you were to sit down with any of the gospel accounts, but I think you can especially see this in the book of John. If you read through the gospel of John, You you don't see Jesus say, follow the scriptures, follow the scriptures, follow the scriptures, follow the scriptures. What you do see Jesus saying is, follow me. Now, Now, those two things aren't contradictory. They're explanatory, right? Jesus doesn't say, follow the scriptures, follow the scriptures, follow the scriptures. He says, follow me. Why? Because Jesus sums up the scriptures. All of the truth All of the principles, all of the stories, all of the rules are summed up in the person of Jesus. That's why John would begin the gospel account by saying, in the beginning was the word. And this word, he became flesh. So all throughout the gospel account of John, Jesus keeps saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. In fact, John is such a unique book because although Jesus says things like, Abide in my word. Do what I tell you to do. Follow my commands. Obey me. You can read and read and read, and you think, obey what? Right? Because in John, there's no beatitudes. There's no turn the other cheek. There's there's no parables. And it's like, what are you telling us to do? Do what I tell you. Abide in my words. Follow me. Over and over and over again, Jesus says things like this. Do what I command you. Well, what do you command? And for the most part, it's just follow me and obey me. Follow me and obey me. Follow me and obey me. And you have to read all the way to chapter 13. And I, you know me, I encourage you to do that. Sit down with the Gospel of John and ask yourself that question as you're going through. What do you want me to do, Lord? I believe you. I want to follow you. What is it that you want me to do? What is your ethical standard? What are you commanding me to do? How do I abide in your word? How do I obey you? How do I follow your commands? And you have to read all the way to chapter 13 before you figure that out. But I want want us to look before we get to chapter 13 at one of these examples, John chapter 8, that was just read for us. Look at verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, it's one thing to say, Scripture is my light. Scripture is my moral guide. But again, the Pharisees would say the same thing. 
And when Jesus showed up, when God showed up in the flesh, they didn't know him, they didn't recognize him, they rejected him, and they murdered him. Because they knew the scriptures, but they didn't know God. And it's possible for us, isn't it? To know the scriptures, or to claim to know the scriptures, to know lots of the rules, but not to read it in such a way that we understand that Jesus sums up the scriptures, that Jesus embodies the scriptures, that if we're rightly understanding all of the rules and all of the stories and all of the principles and all of the truth, then we'll look at Jesus and say, you, Lord, embody them all. That's why Jesus could say, you want to know the truth? I am the truth. You want to see the light? I am the light. You want to not walk in darkness? Then follow me. You want to know what our moral standard should be? What our ethical guide should be? What our compass should be? What our guiding light should be? What our true north should be? It's Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of all of the scriptures, of all of the truth, of all of the principles, of all of the rules, of all of the stories. It's Jesus. You don't want to walk in darkness? You want to know what to do in any given situation? Set your eyes on Jesus. As the Hebrew writer would say, look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus says, you don't want to walk in darkness, then follow me. He's like the light that guided the fire, the pillar of fire that guided the Israelites in the wilderness. Look down at verse 28, same context. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I always do the things that are pleasing. You want to know what God wants? You want to know what sort of lifestyle God wants? You want to know what's right and wrong? You want to know how to do right and avoid wrong? Then look at Jesus. Because Jesus says, I always do what pleases him. You you want to know what obedience to the scriptures, to all of them, Genesis through Malachi, all of the scriptures that were Jesus' scriptures, you want to know what obedience to those scriptures look like? Jesus. And you say, but but specifically what? I mean, like what in all of that? We're we're going to get there in just a second. One thing. Just one thing. But Jesus would say, listen, you want to know what pleases God? It's the things that I do because I always do what pleases my Father. And as he was saying these things, it says many believed in him, which is interesting considering what comes next. But there were many that said, okay, okay, I can get behind that. I believe in you. Now look at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, here, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. It's, it's not enough to just say, yeah, I believe in you. Yeah, that's, that's good. You're the Messiah. You're, you're from God. I, we believe in you. Okay, if you're my disciples, then you will remain. You will stay. You will abide in my word. You'll do what I tell you to do. You'll follow my teach. What are your, what are your teachings? So far, your teaching has just been, I'm the Messiah. Follow me. What's your teaching? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
And they answered him, we're, we're the offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. See, Jesus not only wants us to save us from the consequences of sin, but from the perpetual lifestyle of sin. Because you understand that, I understand that, don't we? That once we get in a rut, we tend to stay in a rut. Once we get in this rut of disobedience and rebellion and sin and compromise, we tend to stay in that. And all of them, all of of humanity, the sons of Abraham, all the sons of Adam, we're all slaves to sin. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. But he says, listen, here, here's what you do. You believe in me. And if you believe in me and you abide in my words... You do what I tell you to do. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. And you will be free indeed. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me. Why? Because my word finds no place in you. What is, what is your word? What's your word? What's your command? What does it look like? What does it mean to abide in your word? If you're going to say, I'm the light of the world. You want to not walk in darkness? You want to be free from slavery? Follow me. Do what I tell you to do. Now, if you read the other gospel accounts, Jesus tells his disciples lots of things to do. But John makes it incredibly simple. He sums it all up. And when we get to chapter 13, we begin to get a hint at what Jesus is commanding his disciples to do. Look at John 13 and verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. See, In John's gospel account, he goes through three years of of just telling people, I'm the Messiah, I'm the light, I'm the bread, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. You want to have life? Follow me, follow me, obey me, abide in my word. And then we get all the way to the night that Jesus is betrayed. And then finally we hear, here's the kind of thing that you do. Here's the sort of thing I'm talking about. I'm the teacher, I'm the Lord, I'm the master. Yes, absolutely. And here I'm teaching you. I'm teaching you. Here's what you do. You wash one another's feet. Look at verse 34, the same chapter. A new commandment I give to you. So finally, he gives us a commandment. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And for John... This sums up everything that Jesus taught in his ministry, right? Everything that Matthew and Mark and Luke wrote down, this sums it up. In fact, Paul will say in in, in several of his books that love, loving one another, is the keeping of the law, right? Jesus would say in the other gospel accounts that you could sum up all of the law and the prophets with these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. And the second, it's so closely tied to it, you can't separate it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the commandment I give you. Here's the summary of everything. 
Here's what it looks like to be my disciple. Become selfless. Wash one another's feet. Love one another as I have loved you. What if? What if Jesus was really serious? I am the moral compass. I am the ethical standard. I am the true north. I am your guiding light. You want to know how to walk in light and not in darkness? You want to know how to walk in freedom and not in slavery? Follow me. Do what I tell you to do. Abide in my word. What's your word, Lord? Love one another as I have loved you. And this this picture of the Last Supper, Jesus, the Lord and Master, washing the disciples' feet, is just a snapshot. In fact, you might even say it's a sign that's pointing forward to the ultimate moment when Jesus would tell us and show us what love looks like and what the true ethical, moral standard for his people was always going to be. So look, if you will, at John chapter 15 and verse 12. John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends. If you do what I, what? Command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. All of it. All of it, all of the Beatitudes, hunger and thirst for righteousness, all of the commands, when somebody slaps you on the left cheek, turn and let them slap you on the right. Someone forces you to go a mile, go to All of the commands can be summed up like this. This is your ethical standard. All of the law and all of the prophets can be summed up like this. This is what it looks like to be faithful and loving. Greater love has no one than this, than that someone lay down his life for his friends. And this moment of Jesus' selfless love and Jesus' faithfulness becomes our moral compass. This becomes our true north. Think about what John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse, verse 16. By this we know love. This this is how we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This is it, the cross. This This is why Paul would say that when he was in Corinth, he preached one thing, you remember? I preached one thing. I didn't know anything else except this, Jesus Christ and him crucified. The cross of Jesus the faithfulness and the love of Jesus 
becomes our moral guide. Does that mean all of the, the Old Testament Genesis through Malachi is meaningless? And po- no, of course not. It's summed up in this. This is what obedience looks like. This is what faithfulness looks like. This is what love looks like. This is what self-giving sacrifice and love look like. All of God's commands and expectations are summed up in the faithful and self-giving love of Jesus on the cross. I just want you to stop. Just think about that for five seconds. All of God's commands and expectations are summed up in the faithful and self-giving love of Jesus on the cross. And that's why Paul could say, the whole time I was with you, for years, this is all I preached, Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is, why, this is why when you read through the New Testament, all of the apostles' writings, all of it points back to the cross. What, why, why should we do this? Why should we not do this? How come we should behave this way and not that way? How come you people need to stop doing this thing and start doing this thing? Why? Because of the cross of Jesus. Because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you, this has become our moral compass. You know, we used to wear, and maybe some of you still do, the bracelets that say WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? And so we would ask ourselves, and it's a, it's a legitimate question, what would Jesus do in my situation? Well, the truth is, Jesus probably wouldn't put himself in my situation, but what, what would Jesus do in this situation? Every time we sort of faced a moral, ethical dilemma, we'd say, what would Jesus do in this situation? Well, maybe he wouldn't be in that situation. But here, here's, what, here's one question we can ask. And that there is an answer to. What does the cross of Jesus teach me to do in this situation? What does the cross of Jesus teach me to do in this situation? What does the faithfulness and the self-giving love of Jesus teach me to do in this situation? You say, I don't know. That's okay. That's exactly what discipleship is all about. It's allowing the cross of Jesus to shape your heart and your mind to give you spiritual wisdom. Over time, we begin to figure out as we, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, as we offer our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, we begin to discern the will of God, what is good and pleasing to him. And it's the cross that shapes all of those things. So Paul, I mean, read through the epistles. Read through Paul's letters. This is always what he comes back to. Why should I pay taxes because of the cross of Jesus? Why should I not steal or even covet what belongs to somebody else? The cross of Jesus. Why should I give to the poor? The cross of Jesus. Why is, why is marriage what it is? Why is marriage between a husband and a wife? Why, why is divorce wrong and fornication wrong and adultery wrong? Because of the cross of Jesus. Do you see? All of our ethics, all of our morals, all of our right and wrong are all shaped by the cross. And yes, the Old Testament scriptures, they inform us on how to, how to understand that. And the New Testament scriptures all inform us how to understand that. That's exactly what the apostles were doing. How to help these disciples of Jesus understand this is what it looks like to live out a crossed, cross-shaped ethic in your life. This is what it looks like to live out a cross-shaped 
ethic in your life? Why should I love my enemies? Why should I forgive people that wrong me? Why should I be merciful and gracious? Because of the cross of Jesus. Jesus says, this is my command. He spends the entire book of John saying, obey me, follow me, abide in my word, listen to me, let my word find a place in your heart. If you abide in my word, then you're my disciples. Then you'll have life and you'll be set free if you abide in my word. What's your word, Lord? What's your command? Here's my command. Love one another as I have loved you. So here's the question. Is Jesus, is Jesus your family's light? Is he your family's light? It's one thing to say scripture is my family's light. Good, I hope that scripture is your family's light. But I hope that we read scripture through the lens of the cross. Because that's how Jesus intended for us to read it. I hope that we read all of the Old Testament as being summed up in the cross of Jesus. And all of the New Testament pointing back to the cross of Jesus saying this is what a cross-shaped life looks like. But as parents and as spouses, as sons and daughters, is the light of Jesus, is Jesus the light of our family? Is, is his cross how we determine what's right and wrong in our, in our household? Is his cross how we determine what's celebrated and what's punished or corrected in our homes? The cross of Jesus. Ephesians 5 and 6. This is exactly what Paul is doing in Ephesians 5 and 6. He's laying out the household code for Christians. And he's saying, listen, if you're a wife, here's how the cross of Jesus shapes your marriage. If you're a husband, here's how the cross of Jesus shapes your marriage. If you're a son or a daughter, here's how the cross of Jesus shapes your being a child of your parents. If you're a parent, here's how the cross of Jesus should shape that. If you're a master, here's how the cross of Jesus should shape that. If you're a servant, here's how the cross of Jesus should shape that. Whatever your role in your family, whatever your role in school or at work, whatever your role, let Jesus be your light. And specifically, the faithfulness and the self-giving love of Jesus manifested in the cross, Jesus Christ and him crucified, let him be your moral guide, your true north, your ethical standard. That's how we determine what's right and what's wrong, what should be corrected and what should be celebrated, what should be applauded and what shouldn't. Is everything, everything has to be interpreted and seen in light of the love and the cross of Jesus Christ. And it begins with baptism, doesn't it? That's how we say, I want to I begin this journey. I want to allow Jesus to be my guide. I want to give my life to him. And I want to be set free from this life, not only the consequences of my sin, but this lifestyle. And I want to be raised up to live this new kind of life that's shaped by and molded by the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what we're saying when we're baptized. Not that when we come up, we're perfectly doing this, but that we're beginning that journey. And maybe somebody here, you're ready to begin that, to let Jesus be the light of your life. Or maybe you've wandered off. Maybe you've made that decision and you've sort of wandered off into darkness and it's time to come back and allow Jesus once again to be your light. Or maybe you're just struggling and you need prayers or encouragement. Our shepherds would love to meet with you and pray with you in my office after service or right now. You can come forward as together we stand and sing.